Blog Talk Radio. Southern California and broadcasting worldwide on Wealth Radio. A tax lawyer prescribing a dose of truth for entrepreneurs. A voice of common sense for the small business owner. And don't get him started on saving taxes. This is the Mark Kohler Show. Mark Kohler Show. Kohler Show. Welcome, everybody, to today's show. My name is Mark Kohler, here with Matt Sorensen, rocking your world with another radio show talking about building wealth, saving taxes, and living the American dream. Matt, want to just make sure here in the studio we got you on the line as well. Oh, yeah. I'm here today talking about emergency oh. preparedness and the end of the world. So uh, we're not going to give you an official date on that yet. We're going to be a little vague on that, but uh, you know, you're going to want to stay tuned so you know what's up. Yeah, very very good. I like it. And uh, Matt Matt and I are in uh, different locations today, making sure we're all in the right spot. And so it was a little crazy there at the moment. So uh, I'm just glad uh, we're here together and uh, grateful to have many of you listening. I just talked to a client this morning that said they downloaded our podcast uh, directly right onto their into their iTunes uh, podcast app on their phone. And when they hit the road in the morning commuting, they pick up our uh, show. Uh, one morning a week and just listen to it while they're commuting. And so for those out there that are not listening to us live and, and you catch the show uh, when you're working out, uh, I think of Jeff on his treadmill. I joke about him sometimes. And those that are doing this while commuting or working out, thank you so much for, for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we got a lot of dates coming up in terms of uh, uh, tax deadlines, but actually those are starting to go by the wayside, luckily. I know for myself, you know, we're just doing quarterly payroll ourselves. So keep in mind for upcoming important deadlines, you know, you've got April 30th here to get quarterly payroll reports out. And um, if you if you didn't know, April 15th has passed. So hopefully if you didn't file, <laughs> you got in your extension to the IRS. Um, I did have a call last week about that. <laughs> April 15th already, oh, man. <laughs> you know, so... Um, but, you know, I extend myself. I think many of us do. So, um, uh, But keep in mind right now, payroll is due, and there is no extension for that. Yeah, and I th- this uh, uh, payroll deadline, for anybody that has an S corporation, you should already be thinking about your payroll this week. And Cynthia and Deborah at our office are just swamped and overwhelmed. I called Deb yesterday, and the, she uh, sounded like a train wreck, and I love her. She knows the feeling. <laughs> I tease her and give her a hard time. Everybody's just working so hard on payroll right now. Um, but here's another interesting deadline. Some of you might, for just as a factoid, might want to know about this deadline. I, we didn't put it in the newsletter uh, today. It uh, just was probably unnecessary for many of our listeners because we've dealt with this so much. And that is the Obamacare enrollment period that was uh, actually extended through the end of April. So for those of you that have not actually gotten your health insurance in place, and a lot of entrepreneurs, just some of you listening, may be facing this. This could be a lifesaver to you. You have until the end of this week or the end of April to get your uh, health insurance in place. Now, there's still going to be a prorated penalty, but they, the reason why they extended this was because uh, people actually did their tax return in January and February and said, hold it. We just got charged a penalty. You mean you were serious about that? <laughs> and uh, the, go- the government's trying to go. Uh, yeah, haven't? Where have you? What planet have you been on the last, uh, you know, th- uh, three years? This, there's this thing called Obamacare, and if you don't get your crap together, yes, there's a penalty. So they, you literally have to show. I, I don't know how they do this, Matt. But I'm sure you, you know. You, you, I'm sure you got a nice quip for this, but the 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 way you will, you're allowed to use this extension to get your insurance for 2015 under this extension and this extended period is you just have to show 
that you were surprised and didn't know there was a penalty when you filed your tax return, that's the first you heard of it. So apparently that's your excuse. Um, the classic surprise, I didn't know first I've heard of it <laughs> argument. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I'm, having sat in courtrooms when I was a prosecutor, I was always amazed at the excuses people came. I was somewhat comical. <laughs> like I didn't know that was a legal judge, and like, and th- like they thought that was gonna work. You know, I didn't know that I couldn't have weed in my car and an open container and. You know, but uh, oh man. Anyway, yeah, you know, yeah, worth a is. shot. You know, worth a shot. It's worth a shot. So, but but this is an important point for anybody, and I know there's someone listening to the show. There is always someone that you did not enrolled in an insurance health a health insurance plan during the period that most of us did between November, uh, December, and January. But you've been given a free pass to finally get your crap together and get a 2015 health insurance plan. You can go to your state exchange, the federal exchange, depending on the state you're in, and just apply. Get something bare minimum. The penalty this year is now 2% of your adjusted gross income in 2015 or $395 a person, whichever is greater. So if you make 100 grand this year in your small business or whatever, and you make 200 grand, you're going to pay uh, 100 grand, you're going to pay a 2% penalty of $2,000. And so the government has said by the end of April, you got to apply for your health insurance and now uh, there still will be a penalty, but it's going to be prorated. So at least you're going to get out of some of the penalty by, again, getting your stuff together, <laughs> for lack of a better word, and now you're okay. So uh, Family radio. I handled that. Was I politically correct there? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you sound like you're getting some, you know, you've been hanging around with some politicians for a while. But, yeah. you know, oh, all these man. delays are really just because, you know, Obama doesn't have an election anymore and, and all that. So, you know, just let these delays happen until he gets reelected and all the congressional elections happen. Now they're they feel like, ah, we we don't you know, let's put this out. Now the pain's really gonna start hitting and the penalties are gonna start flying and there's gonna be a lot of upset people. But um hey, I appreciate you trying to get the word out though, Mark. Yeah, it's an important one. Well, uh, a couple other notes on the newsletter for those that we just want to give a quick – before we get into our tax and legal tip for the week, and I am still so excited about this show and the topic, um, one of the um, articles that I wrote for the week uh, that I think will be really a, a real resource and tool for many of you is the emergency preparedness for your business, a little article with a checklist of things that you should be doing in your business to prepare for a natural disaster or uh, even a, a power grid going down in your area or something like that, it could there could be uh, some major problems in the future. We don't know. And now that's we've got a special guest joining us later to talk about and some economic forecasts as to what the year may hold. But one thing we do know is that things will change. Things there, it's uncertain what the future may hold. And so. Please check out that article on emergency preparedness and a little checklist of not only what you should be preparing for in your family, but also your business. Yeah, I love it. And I'm excited to delve into that topic ourselves and give our own little thoughts. And um, it's something, you know, Mark and I talked about this yesterday in preparation from the show, and it kind of lingered in my mind. And hopefully I've had, I have something smart to say, but it, it was uh, – kind of a different show topic. We don't want to talk doom and gloom, you know, but um, uh, realizing things you could work on to help better prepare yourselves because um, there are ups and downs in the world for sure. So I'm excited to delve into this topic and share our thoughts. Yeah. Well, and uh, uh, yeah, good stuff. And I don't know what it was with my pink shirt, but if you get the newsletter, you'll see there's two videos in there shot on separate days, folks, let me assure you. Uh, I do wear pink once in a while, but for some reason I've got a, a video <laughs> in pink uh, that's about my new book, The Tax and Legal Playbook, which just literally was became available on Amazon last week. So I want to encourage all of you, please look at The Tax and Legal Playbook as, a, as an addition to your library, 28 Game-Changing Strategies on Tax Bill Topics. There's a little video there in my pink shirt out in front of our office talking about the book. And then I also have a video on why your personal credit is tied to your business credit, and a, an article on eight ways to build your company credit. So 
check out the newsletter for those little tidbits. And uh, I thought, gosh, Matt, I've got to tell you, I actually read your article. I thought it was kind of cool. Top three mistakes, <laughs> solo four ones. Yeah. You yeah, probably I thought know, I read your I, article every week, but sometimes I don't. Yeah, I read this one. A little offended by that, but <laughs> no, you know, I we come across a lot of clients using solo 401ks, and we love it. It's a great fit for for certain people, but um, like any good idea, it's been oversold, and there's a lot of unqualified people that that really have a document they sell you, and they don't know anything about it, or can't help you with it once it's set up, or can't help you amend it and keep it up to date. Which, by the way, is required by law that you have it amended at least every six years. And I just kind of get into some of the mistakes we run across that a lot of people have had with respect to solo 401k plans, just so um, people can get an idea of, you know, maybe they got it set up wrong, maybe they don't have the right support to keep it um, active over the long run, and uh, unfortunately it's something that's happening more and more. It's, I, don't, I don't know why. I think there's just people operating out of basements, setting up a website, and Selling people 401ks, I, I don't know, but uh, I guess they got good websites. But they're getting, they're making a lot of mistakes, or, or doing a little bit of cleanup on them. So I just want to get get that info out there so people get a little more detail about what they should be looking for. Yeah, and I literally just as we're um, speaking here forwarded Matt's article to one of my um, friends here, and uh, I think that's a good example of uh, and suggestion to all of you if you get a chance and you like our articles the blogs the videos a lot of content there and i just hit send boom so i just sent off that little uh, article there to um, a friend and client that i think um, she's going to appreciate so many of you uh, please if you find something in those articles that uh, changes your life a little bit for the better please share it with someone else so appreciate it well, Matt, do you want to introduce our um, legal topic today? We have a, or our legal tipster, I should say. We've got uh, Jerem on on hold, and uh, gosh, he, I, I just yeah, let's, love him. Let's let's bring let's bring Jerem Burgesson out in our Cedar City office. The um, the one and only Jerem, who's everybody says his <laughs> name wrong. Um, don't mistake him for Sorry. Jerome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I answer to anything that starts with a J, so if you get close, it'll be all right. Okay. Yeah. Hey, well, Jack – oh, sorry. I won't finish that. <laughs> so, um, oh. uh, yeah. Jerem's – you know, that's a unique name, but, yeah. um, you know, some of, some of you out there, I know I know some of you know where that name came from, and uh, Jerem's living up to it every day. So, <laughs> Ooh, Boy, a little missing – his parents had high hope for him. <laughs> that's right. A little intrigue there, yeah. So yeah, that, that's intrigue. our, yeah. yeah. So that'll be our, uh, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's our riddle All for right, the week. So, you can figure out where, yeah, Jim, where yeah, his name originated Google from. It. So there you go. Google it. Yeah. Google okay. It. Well, um, Jeremy, what, what do you got for Jeremy, us this you week? Got a, yeah. You got a legal tip? I do. You know, I, 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 I'm sure it's, you know, been out. I know you guys know this, and it's, it's, I'm sure it's been in the news and the tabloids, but since the last time I was on the show, I have a new edition. How to riot? How to legally riot. How to legally riot. No. Uh, I've had an addition okay. in, my, in my family since the last time I was on the show. We had a, a son born uh, about two weeks ago on the 13th, and – what I was thinking about when when he was born, I was thinking about a lot of things. But one of the things that came up was, wow, what 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 do I need to change? I've got a, an additional, obviously, child here now. I've had my my daughter's almost six. She's in my estate plan documents. She's a contingent beneficiary on my retirement account and on my my HSA that I have. But um, but my son isn't. What what do I need to change? Now that my uh, in my estate planning and uh, other places, now that I I have uh, another child, and it got me thinking mm-hmm. about when it makes sense to make changes or look at or amend your estate plan, especially. Um, so that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Is if you've got an estate plan in place, when are the times that it makes sense to to make a change or to uh, to find out if you need to make a change? Now, our uh, Jeremy, many estate plans will, if they're done right, hopefully, will have a provision that says if you have future-born children, 
um, or adopted children, they will fall under the estate plan if you don't add them. Um, right. That's not a guarantee, but is that right. a common thing you'd see in a trust, for example? That's what I was going to say. Is you know, in my estate plan, it provides for any any future born or adopted children after after the the um, estate plan was executed. Not all estate plans do that. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you had one that that wasn't drafted real well, or just some form that you found online or something like that, that's certainly better than doing nothing. But um, yeah, that that sort of document won't necessarily um, provide for any any afterborn children. I think about just real quickly the actor Heath Ledger, who died. I think he was under the age of thirty. He did an estate plan before he the had Joker. any children. Did a Joker. He did an estate plan before he had any children that named his parents and and brothers and sisters as beneficiaries of his estate. And then he he, he didn't get married, but he ended up having a child, and that child wasn't named in the estate plan documents, wasn't provided for in the estate plan documents. So that child had no legal um, recourse um, to get any part of the estate. Now, apparently his family is doing the right thing, but that was a situation where he didn't make a change when a big life event happened, and it it it, it caused a headache for for his child, who he he. There's no indication that he didn't want to provide for her. She was only a few years yeah. old when he passed away. Now, what about well? You talked about um, beneficiary designations too. What about you know your retirement account or bank accounts? You mentioned your HSA. Are those gonna? Those typically aren't gonna say anything, do they, about the future-born children? Or no, typically they don't. I I actually have gone in and changed. My wife is my primary beneficiary of those accounts that I have, and then my daughter was the 100% contingent beneficiary. I had to go do a beneficiary designation form change with those those custodians to make, I, I changed it, to my son and my daughter are each 50% contingent beneficiaries mm-hmm. of those accounts. That's not going to, there's usually, I'm not aware of, of the, a situation where, where you can provide for that. You usually have to name individuals. And so if those individuals change, either because they pass away or because a new one is born, or you just want to change it, you have to go in and make that change with, with those folks. Well, it's interesting, Jerem, that you chose to go that route. I know that we um, talk about, and you give presentations on this as well, I uh, tell a lot of clients, rather than put the kids 50-50 as the contingent beneficiaries, put your spouse first and then put the trust. And with the see-through provisions, the kids are able to uh, still receive the funds equally. But again, with after uh, future-born children and and all that, it can uh, take some guesswork out of, of the, the you know any problems that could come, but yeah, um, yeah I guess there are some options there. That's a great way to uh, avoid having to do that. Is if you make provision um, in the in the trust for how everything is to be to be divvied up, and then instead of going and every time a child is born, you go and make a beneficiary designation change. You can name the trust as the secondary beneficiary, and then just make sure that the trust says what you want it to say. And the trust, yeah. is, if it's drafted correctly, is going to provide for those afterborn or adopted children. Yeah. Well, gosh, well, how's the little guy doing? He's doing great. Sleep? I, I'm getting some sleep. We've got it set up that my wife gets up first, which is usually in the middle of the night at about 3, and then I, I have to get up to get to work. Um, I get up at 6 anyway. He's usually waking up about 5.30, so I, I'm getting up a half hour early and feeding him before I leave for work. Well, what a good dad. I love it. Well, that new little deduction, I mean, that new little son in the house, uh, <laughs> it's uh, probably nice to have him around. And that's probably the nicest benefit there. You're going to get some great tax breaks for a while, and then they become a teenager, and you're willing to file amended returns if they'll just take the kid back. You know, just, just give. Um, I do not want the tax breaks any longer. Just take my teenager away. So. Yeah. Well, and we, uh, we we had to go we had to go through IVF to get him here. So he's going to have to be a good tax deduction for a long time to 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 not be a net yeah. financial loss. So. Oh jeez. Well, Jerem, great comment. Hey, I think it's important. Yeah. That was Mark's sarcasm talking, all right? I don't want it, you know, don't hold that against Mark Kohler. This is, you know, that's, that's his sense of humor, okay? Yeah. 
who is this guy? Oh, thank you. Jesus, well, I'm 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 glad that Matt's major role here on the radio show is to apologize for my comments. So I'm glad that. Uh, yeah, I mean, somebody's got to do it. Full time. So, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to so, hire someone uh, just to take on that role. That's right. It's a it's a full time job. Um, and uh, but in summary, though, I want to say this is a great topic, Jerem. You bring up with a newborn child and uh, adjusting your estate plan. Ironically, it's funny how. Uh, time, you know, I'm thinking um, there's a Coldplay song and, and uh, a couple other songs that really relate to this this coming and going in life. And I, I well, over the weekend I had a call from a client where her sister died and it was a fairly um, traumatic experience and a lot going on. <clears throat> and so uh, while one family is enjoying the birth of a new child, some family somewhere else is losing someone. And, and it's really this estate planning is just an important part of life. And it's shocking that 50%, over 50% of Americans don't even have any sort of plan. And it's, you know, Heath Ledger type children that have to go to court or have someone represent them to, to deal with the estate plan. And it just, it takes time and effort and money that families don't want to spend. So when you have an addition to your family or a change, um, uh, get with Jerem, get your estate plan updated and get a new estate plan if you haven't got one. Uh, yeah. But, Jerem, thank you so much. Great tip. Yeah, Thanks. Appreciate tip. it, guys. All right. Folks, if you want to get a hold of Jerem, of course, you can call our main office number and ask to have an appointment with him. And uh, you know how to reach us if you're listening to the show. Uh, probably the easiest is go straight to kkoslawyers.com, kkoslawyers.com. Yeah, and if you want to uh, get an answer to the riddle, you can also email him at jerem, J-A-R-O-M, at kqslawyers.com. So he, he might just like give that. an answer to that riddle. That's right. Well, now, uh, even though tax season has come and gone, uh, we're, we are still in our extension phase. Lots of tax returns at our office, probably 60% of our clients extend. So we've got lots of work to do between now and uh, September 15th and October 15th. But we have one of our fearless leaders here on the show with us today, uh, Brian Brown, a, a contributor to the show on a regular basis. Uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks. How you doing, Mark? Brian Brown, the broadcaster? The Brian Brown, the broadcaster. Brian Brown. Exactly. Sports broadcaster. Oh. All right, cool. Oh, we, you, Matt, you may not know. I just found out another little uh, factoid about uh, Brian Brown. I won't use the word factoid again in the show. But uh, Brian, for those that don't know, is the color commentary of the Southern Utah Thunderbird football team. So if you uh, listen to one of the uh, football games this fall, you'll hear Brian Brown. But at the game, at the Boosters Spring uh, Red and White game, whatever they call it, all the football teams around the country are doing their spring football training Mm -hmm. and having their games. They brought on a special offensive coach for the uh, team to uh, call the plays and run the team. And Brian Brown, you were the man. How was it coaching your own football team? Did you it, know this, Matt? Was, Isn't that amazing? It, it, it was fun. It was, uh, it, was, it was kind of it – was, it was great. I, 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 would do, I would do it again in a heartbeat. It, you know, start out a little bit slow, but uh, it, yeah. it, uh, it went on and picked up a little momentum, had a couple of scoring drives, and uh, turned out pretty good. Hey, can I just – I just want to, you know, I want to let you know this, Mark. I don't know if you knew. I was – I got to be head coach on Red and White Game like four years ago. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying my I did not won. know that. I beat Mike Levitt. He was, the, he was the head coach on the other team. And, dude, Brian, wasn't that the coolest thing ever? It was like Tech Mobile. I felt like – or like Madden Football. I'm like calling the plays, sitting on the sideline. They literally let me pick whatever I wanted. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd call the, the – and you know what? Okay, offense was pretty easy because it's like, oh, do I want to pass or run? It's like, do, do, do. Defense, I was a disaster because when you call defensive plays, you have to know a lot of football. Like, you got to know what's the offensive personnel on the field. Do they yep. have a tight end? Do they have two tight ends? Do they have a guy that can out, you know, some guy on the end, a wideout that's going to blow out my freaking corner over here that's a putz? Like, and you got to call the personnel. So, like, I was I was jacking up the defense. But, yeah. oh, that yeah, was, and, the, that was like the, a highlight the fun, of my life. Yeah, that was the, awesome. 
the funny thing about it is you can call the perfect play. And, yeah. you know, I've got a whole new respect for coach, for the coaches because you can call the perfect play. And I had two plays in a row called to throw to the tight end. The first one, the quarterback never even looked at him. The guy was wide open out in the flat, wide yeah. open. The yeah. second play, right, back-to-back plays, the the guy was open for a minute, for, yeah, I shouldn't say a minute, for a good second and a half. The quarterback was late getting in the ball. The ball was picked off as we were going in for the winning drive. And, yeah. you know, it's just, again, you know, he, well, that was a stupid play. Actually, it was a great call. The execution was bad. You know, but, yeah. you know, you look at it, you go, how come this? You know, you, you get upset with the coaches because how come he's not doing this? And a lot of times the coaches call those plays, but the the, uh, the players aren't executing properly. Yeah. You know, mm. with that, okay, this is my – I'm going to – I'll get off this topic, but we got to talk about this more, Brian Brown. Yeah. Uh, maybe not on the show. Okay, so Brad Sorensen, he was a quarterback at this university. The guy plays in the NFL now. So – he comes to the sideline. I say, "What?" So hold on. Let me get this straight. Now, hold on. I want to get this straight. So Matt, you yeah. have been head coach for an NFL quarterback. That is correct. Yep. I mean, before he was wow. in the NFL, I mean, really, he owes a lot to me. Okay. So he... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm going to that as long as I don't have to work under Matt yeah. Sorensen. <laughs> yeah. You know what? The players thought we were morons. Let's be honest. I think it's almost like chaos. Oh, yeah. Like it's like chaos training for the co- for the coaching staff. They're like, how are these players going to operate under a bunch of morons calling these plays? But, oh yeah. Uh, it's like stress testing or something. So okay, so he comes to the sideline and he says, and we're like struggling. We were like we were like three and out, a bunch of drives. And I said, what do you what what should I call? And he, because the the offensive coordinators were not like really helping me that much, so I was like trying to get the players to like help me. So he's like, just I'll just throw a fade to the corner to this this receiver, and I'm like, okay, what one's that? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, okay, do that. So they caught touchdown. So <laughs> like just, yeah. just oh, I, I did I did at this. that point. I'm like, I, all right, I don't know what yeah. the heck I'm doing. Obviously, yeah. I okay, I got a call. I asked I asked the quarterback. I said, what do you want to run? He says, I want to run 22W. I'm going, what the crap is 22W? I found out what 22W was. I said, okay, let's run 22W. It was a uh, it was a quarterback draw, and it gained about 15 yards. I said, great call. You know, I'm, I'm getting great call, great call. I go, yeah, right, the quarterback wanted to run it, so I ran it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to call timeout proverbial timeout here i some i'm just, i know someone on this uh radio show right now is thinking hold on i wasn't tuning into sports radio i wanted to hear some tax and legal tips so as interesting this may be for me i i could listen to this all day um let's bring it back <laughs> to uh the topic at hand so brian brown in your other life you're a cpa and uh, yeah. <laughs> working at K&E CPAs, uh, tell us what uh, you might uh, have run into this last week and a little tip for what? our listeners here that could save them some money, not just help them in their football, uh, Madden, you know, oh, fantasy oh, football. Save, what what save would help money. them on their tax return? Oh, well, actually, I don't even know if this is going to – I've got two things, and both of them are really quick because I know we're running up against the deadline here. Uh, the first one is – and again, I've mentioned this before. I had a client come in this morning, actually, uh, and talk about a little tax planning, a little strategy. And his concern was about saving taxes. And he, oh, I don't want to pay tax here. I don't want to pay tax there. And it came out that I said, you know, you need to do what you want. We figured out it's going to cost him about $2,000 a year, rather to be happy or rather to be okay with paying $2,000 less and not be happy. It's like, is it worth two thousand? He said, no. I said, then let's be happy. Let's let's do what you want to do, but let's you know let's don't stress and plan our whole lives around taxes because you'll destroy yourself doing that. So you know, let's what what I what my what my tip is here is, do what you want to do. Do what's financially responsible for you, without worrying too much about taxes. Let us talk, let us deal with the you know contact us talk to us about it we'll tell you the consequence excuse me consequences but don't build your lives around trying to save taxes and make I, yourself I think, miserable I just love this and I'm anxious to make a comment here because this cost benefit analysis to say it another way is with every tax strategy there's a cost benefit uh, 
analysis should take place. And literally just yesterday, I had two clients on the line, um, and I think he, he might even be listening to the show because uh, I had referenced one of his uh, projects previously on another show, and he, he called me out on it. But uh, they were de- debating. I can't believe it. I, I have to forgive this this client. Please forgive me if I mentioned you now twice in two of my shows, which is very, very uncommon, literally very uncommon. But they were contemplating getting married. And so we were talking. They were, they were both on the phone. So kind of, I was I was playing marriage counselor. Uh, I joked, <laughs> joked on the call because they were like, okay, if we get married, how much taxes are we going to save? What what are, what are we looking at here? <laughs> and, and so um, the cost benefit of is it worth rushing down to the courthouse and getting married, uh, or should we wait until next year and plan our larger wedding? What are we going to save this year if we get married, and is it worth it? And it was just a really fun conversation, and we went through a lot of the marriage penalty issues and real estate professional issues. But I like what you're bringing up, Brian, is that there's some great ways to save taxes. And some people out on the show, they're anal. They love to document every little thing and tick and tat and follow the, track their mileage, and they just get – Gosh, they just love it. They just get it. And and they don't mind do all that little extra work to save a dollar. But um, other people, it's not worth it to go too far. They want to do some things, but then they draw a line in the sand. Yeah. So I love this, Brian. Great point. The other one is with the payroll deadlines coming up, I, I think people have some confusion about their health insurance, paying with their S-Corp. And we talked about this. You gave me a call yesterday, Mark, and we talked a little bit about it about your self-employed health insurance. You know, when you're doing your payroll yes. through, your, through your S-Corp, I've seen pay- people who have payroll of, you know, $10,000, of which $8,000 of it is their health insurance, and 2000 of a Social Security and Medicare. The problem is all you can deduct on your health insurance, basically through your S-Corp on page one of your individual return, is $2,000. The rest gets thrown back to Schedule A. You have to have enough Social Security and Medicare wages to support that health insurance deduction. And it's the same thing with the Schedule C. You have to have enough self-employment income to support that health insurance deduction. Otherwise, you're going to lose part of it. Well, the, the, with the beginning of, at the beginning of the show, of course, Brian, you may have uh, caught, got on the line soon enough to hear. We were talking about Obamacare and the penalty yeah. and how important getting health insurance is. A lot of people don't realize that you won't get a deduction for that health insurance unless you have a small business. And then number two, you're not going to be able to deduct that health insurance unless you have profit. This is yeah. one of the unique deductions, people. Some of you may be just flabbergasted and frustrated by this. That You're like, hold it. If I have auto expenses, I should be able to write it off. That's right. Even if you go negative, you'll have a loss to deduct against other income. But with health insurance, it's one of those weird deductions that you have to have profit in order to deduct health insurance. You can't go negative with a health insurance deduction. So for small business owners out there, keep in mind – uh, that issue as you're trying to get aggressive with other write-offs. Uh, you may want to be a little more strategic. Brian, great tips. I love it. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, hey, thanks for the uh, It's good to talk football, football with you, too. Yeah, oh. I just want everyone to know CPAs are people, too. And so I want to show that other side of, you know, of, of Brian Brown. So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, that that was fun. I didn't know, Matt, you got a chance to coach as well. Matt, for those that didn't know, I'm just going to throw this out. Lawyers are people too. Matt Sorensen <laughs> is a rock star on the side. He had his own band. He plays an electric guitar. And on the uh, in his band was the head coach of the – the real head coach of the football team of the Southern Utah T-Birds. And so I know, Matt, you're really close to the head coach. So obviously he must have owed you. To help to allow you to coach one of those games. Oh yeah, yeah. It was I got I got him in the band, so that's why he owed me. <laughs> there you go. Well, but well, we I I was going to do a speaking of my new book that was out. I wanted to do a book signing and a book party and have a band play at my book signing. Uh, and my first thought was I got to get Matt Sorensen to bring his band out, but no one from the band wanted to drive 600 miles to come to a book signing band gig. So unless I wrote him a big check, so. But someday yeah. some of you out there may have a chance to hear Matt Sorensen play the guitar. You know, just rock. <laughs> That's how it sounds. Pretty much how it sounds. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Sorry for all hey. the extra commentary. Hey, not a problem. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, thanks, thanks Brian. Brian Brown, par- partner and CPA at K&E CPAs, our sister firm to the law firm. Uh, helping clients nationwide. Well, now I want to. We've we've got to get into this topic about pre- business and economic uncertainty and preparing for the future and what we could be facing in our small businesses. And we're really excited about this topic. We've got Chris Martinson, uh, author of the book The Crash Course, and he is. Uh, a res- an economic researcher, a futurist specializing in energy and resource depletion. Now, that, that's a mouthful, and I know that some of you are like, now, what's he do? Well, he helps predict the future <laughs> and how it might <laughs> – I know that sounds a little uh, <laughs> hocus-pocusy, but he does. He does help predict the future for business planners and executives around the world that are trying to make – financial forecasts. Financial forecasting is a big business. Well, um, Chris is one of the experts literally around the country. He's got a huge following. And so we're excited to have him come on the show and talk to us about these issues and what we should be thinking about in our small businesses. So, uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Why, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with y'all. Well, thanks for coming on. So uh, I know Mark gave a little bit of overview about you, but why don't you start with some of your credentials and stuff, you know, so people know how, you know, that you're a super smart guy first, and then uh, and, and yeah. then uh, maybe let you brag about yourself for a second. Then I'm excited to get into this topic as well. All right. Well, well let me start by saying uh, I don't predict the future, uh, but I do extrapolate the trends. You know, things are heading in a direction, and, <laughs> and if you just keep going out, you can figure out kind of where you're headed. And, and uh, I listen, I love data. I, I, I was a research scientist for a while, got my degree at Duke University, uh, both Ph.D., postdoc. Did that for a while. Um, got into it originally because I, I love science, but I wanted to teach. Uh, was was uh, kind of dim-witted and not figuring out that schools don't really – reward teaching or teachers much. Um, it's not, mm-hmm. not what they're built to do. And uh, took a turn, got an MBA, went worked in corporate finance for a while. And that's where I really came to, to love uh, the financial number side of all this and uh, was a strategy consultant for a while. Did all that. And then, you know, 2001 happened and my portfolio got shredded and I started looking into the economy and I'm a curious guy. So I dug and dug and eventually uh, created this thing called the Crash Course, which just puts together economy, energy, environment, and I think when you put those three together and you really look at the direction we're headed, you can clearly say big, big changes are coming. Yeah. Well, well, now, you, you talk- have a – I was going to say, now, you mentioned the crash course. You have a uh, a webinar on that. I don't know webinar. There's a, a very lengthy video, four and a half hours of content, um, very detailed. I know you have an accelerated version, too. I went to your website to try and, uh, to try and learn some of this. So – um, and that's what culminated in the book, right? But I think for someone trying to learn about this, you do have a uh, pretty comprehensive uh, video on this, which is available on your website. Absolutely. Totally free. Bunch of chapters. Walks through each of the three biggies, um, economy, energy, environment. But as you mentioned, there's an accelerated version, uh, 53 minutes. And you know, if you're not hooked in the first five, give it up. Um, but it, it, it moves right along. And it's really important context for where we are today. You know, that's what I'm trying to do is just help people understand how we got here so you can have a chance to understand it, where we're going. Well, and, and as you're talking about, this is Mark here, as you'll get used to our voices here hopefully on the show a little bit uh, as we tag team you here, uh, Chris, so we appreciate your patience. Uh, but uh, as you talk about the crash course, let's be clear too, are you – as you talk about these trends in the future and how it, the economy and energy and environment play out, are you talking about how we're on a course to crash, or this is a crash course on learning these topics? Which one is it? Are we, are we uh, a train wreck in the future? Where, where are you going with the word crash? <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. It's both of those. And, and by oh, that, I don't okay. mean that a crash is certain, but if we don't change our ways, it is absolutely certain. So let me just make this a, a really crystal clear example. Let's say... Um, you're the municipal administrator for, um, I don't know, say Philadelphia, and you've got a pension that is 51% funded at this point in time, and you're loading in more retirees into the system, more potential future retirees. You're getting 0% on your safe bonds. You can calculate the whole thing. It's just a train wreck. We know that. If they don't change something in how they're doing the pension program, one of two things happens. The taxpayers are really going to get hit, hit hard. That includes small business owners 
or those pensioners are not going to get what they've been promised. Either way, you have a couple of, uh, of unhappy sets of people in this story. We can see it coming, and still nobody's talking about it really in the way it needs to be talked about. And that's a small example. We have similar stories that we can write across the whole country about our energy policy, national debt, things like that. Well, as you bring this up, I wanted to ask, and I apologize getting to a very, I guess, deep uh, philosophical question right off the bat. And in, if, if folks, as you start to study a little bit more on this topic and, and get to Chris's website, and it's, there's a link on our newsletter today, it's peakprosperity.com, you'll, you'll, you'll get to read Chris's bio. And, and Chris, you actually kind of allude to this in your bio, and this is my deep or philosophical question. When, when I start talking to someone like you, which I usually don't, and, and the re- don't be offended by that, but I usually <laughs> – the reason why I don't is I start to get a little depressed. I start to say, mm. well, heck, I have no control over the freaking Philadelphia Municipal uh, Pension Plan, but I'm going to end up paying the damn bill. And, you know, I, I have no control over the, uh, uh, what's the fossil fuel – devastation going on around the uh, the world and the future of energy and what's going on in the Middle East. And you kind of want to just hunker down, go build a safe house up in the mountains and just get away from it all. And, and in your bio, you even allude a little bit to the fact that age 40, you were headed down this Fortune 300 urban track and you said, you know what, 10 years later, I'm living by a little lake with my family and I've probably got a good food storage and emergency supply system set up. I mean, I don't know. Have you felt like you've, you've, you've kind of wanted to get away from it all when you start talking about this topic? To me, it seems so overwhelming. Absolutely. And you know what? That's a perfectly normal response, and it's actually the response I had too. And, and what I found is that I'm in the business of sharing information, but it's not really the case. I'm in the business of challenging beliefs. And when our beliefs get challenged, we go through an emotional progression. So I'm acutely aware that when I ask people to look at this information, in many cases I am asking them to experience discomfort. And the rest of the message, though, is that, yes, I was 42 when I walked away from that vice presidency of a a pretty large company and started a blog. I I shouldn't be giving career advice to anybody, obviously. Uh, And uh, I I started all of that because I was really kind of nervous about what was coming. Now, let's fast forward 10 years. Here I am today. I'm actually healthier than I was. I'm wealthier. I have better relationships. I eat better. Uh, I'm in control of my own destiny. I'm owner of a business that I absolutely love, and and I've got a a mission uh, that gets me out of bed every morning. And my business partner and I feel like we are facing insurmountable opportunity in this story because we can see the changes that are coming and the huge demand that's going to be uh, ignited around a whole new set of needs. Now, now, in this story, there's like all you ever have to ask when you're facing big change is three things, three questions. What things are you going to stop doing? What no longer makes sense for you to keep doing? Which things are you just going to keep doing? And by the way, that's most things. But what are the new things you need to start thinking about? And that's really what we're doing here is helping people get through that initial nervousness, the anxiety, the depression, whatever the emotions are. And by the way, there's a whole suite of them. So that we can get to this point of saying, look, whether we want the baby to come out or not, it's coming out. Uh, and so here we are. You know, we, we have to face up to the reality as we can see it, knowing that data changes and, and we can change our stance if new data comes out. But here's where we are. Here's our best guess with respect to aquifers and depletion or the bees disappearing or what we're doing with fossil fuels. There are responses that all of us can make to all of these things that if, if I'm completely wrong, if this data heads in a totally different direction in the future, the worst thing that's going to happen to the people who've been following our advice is they're going to be a little bit healthier. They're going to have better relationships. They're going to have a little more money in the bank, all these things. We just think that, that there are responses anybody can take where you can control things that are going to be influenced by things you can't control. So quick example. I have no control over whether oil goes up in price or down in price or whether it comes in short supply in the future. But my house was 100% heated with oil when I first bought it in 2009. Today, it's better insulated, new windows. I've got a wood stove in there. I've got solar, hot water. In short, 
oil could do all kinds of crazy things, and I have other options at this point in time. I have other ways uh, to control the comfort of my own existence without being fully dependent on what happens in the Middle East. Well, that, let me just jump in. This is Matt, and uh, I, I, you know, I went through your accelerated um, version of the crash course. I read through it, and uh, very well put together for those that want to get a, a quick read on this. Um, you start talking about um, you know what to do, and I think a lot of people, you know, I come across a lot of people that will accept your premise pretty quick, you know and agree that these three E's you talk about are changing um, and the economy is going to change, our world's going to change. And um, and so everybody's really cutting to the chase, all right, now what do I do? What do I do? And that's, you know, I get that a lot from, from my clients in particular um, is, is how do I protect myself to deal with some of this uncertainty. So um, one of the things you talk about is protecting the purchasing power of your financial wealth and, and um Maybe you can talk to that from a from an investor standpoint, um, whether it's a you know a real estate investor or a small business owner, and protecting your purchasing power of your financial wealth. Sure, it's it's a very big topic, but if we if we back way up, uh, there's an interesting development that's been happening. It's kind of coming to a head, maybe now over the next ten years, and it started way back in the mid 1970s, where the United States, but generally all the developed nations started borrowing money at about twice the rate that their economy was growing. So if you had a client and you saw that they were increasing their credit card balance at twice the rate they were getting uh, pay raises, you would say, look, I hate to tell you this, but sooner or later you have a math problem. right?" Uh, and what's true for an individual is true for a whole nation. It's true for the whole world. And so the world's been on this credit binge for a really long time. And it's been acting as if it can stay on that credit binge forever. Now, Here's, here's the thing. Money, money itself, cash, currency, digits in your bank account, money is, is not wealth. It's a claim on wealth. I mean, you and I would agree that I could have a billion dollars, but if I, nobody would sell me anything, I have, I have nothing, right? Money's mm -hmm. a really convenient way to store uh, an agreement with each other, but there has to be a relationship between money and real stuff, right? Houses, cars, condominiums, land, food, water, that's real wealth. So what we do is, is we really are tracking very carefully how many claims on wealth are being created and how much new wealth is actually being created. And there's a huge mismatch, and it's growing, and is really growing in the arena of debt because debt is a claim on future money. So when we look at this, uh, you know, the world is now standing at $200 trillion of debt, having piled on $35 trillion new dollars since the crisis began in 2008, and these all represent claims on real wealth. I'm okay with that as long as I can wander over to the world economy and say, oh, I see it growing at least that fast. But it's not. Mm -hmm. World debt's been growing at over 10% per year compounded for the past 15 years. Economy is less than a third that. So when I watch those, I just say claims are growing, real stuff isn't. And we've been down this story many times in history where nations individually have overprinted and then what's happened is that uh, what happens next, we call it a great wealth destruction, right? Weimar Germany from 1918 to 1923, right? If, if you had a billion dollars in 1922 on January 1st in, in Germany at that time, by April of that year, that billion dollars had a penny's worth of purchasing power. Now, you would say, wow, I just had my wealth destroyed. I was a billionaire. Now I have a penny. Right? But the real thing I wanted to communicate to people is, no, 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 the currency got reduced. The currency took a huge hit, but the real wealth of the nation in Weimar, Germany, nothing happened to it. Same number of farms, same number of factories, same number of hotels, same amount of, of arable acres, all that. But here's what happened. Who owned it changed hands. So when the currency systems get out of balance, there's a chance, not a guarantee, but a chance that you will experience what we call a wealth transfer. Now, the newspapers and CNBC, they'll all be telling you it was a wealth destruction. Look, the stock market went down X percent or, or you know, the you know, purchasing power went down by Y percent. But what's really happening is that some people are losing tremendously and other people are gaining. If you have the context and you can see what's coming, there are ways to avoid it. But, the, you know, the simple rule is you have to be in hard assets of some kind, real estate, 
um, gold, silver, uh, raw land, uh, natural resources. Those are the even you know Stradivarius violins, just real tangible uh, <laughs> assets. We think that that portion of people's portfolios is too low right now. They, we've all been uh, lulled into thinking that when I have investments, they go into stocks or bonds, and and mm-hmm. we want to expand that universe of thinking out a bit. So. Um, so if I could follow that up with a question, Mark, here. I, this is so fascinating, and it can be very overwhelming and complex. I'm sure some of our listeners, if you were driving down the road, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this is way too deep. Let's get back to talking about coaching football. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but this is so important. This is really important. So let me ask this. So if the claim to wealth is cash in the bank, but the real wealth is what you said, tangible, hard assets, could be land, rental, real estate, um, uh, gold, violins, artwork, whatever the case could be. You're, you're, what you kind of summarized with there is that people need to be a little more focused, if not a lot more focused, on building real wealth than just putting money in the bank and living month to month on, on paycheck to paycheck. Um, where does Where does a healthy amount of debt come into play? Because I think of... I talk about every day that if you're going to buy real estate and rental properties and the bank's money is cheap, there's nothing wrong with making sure that property can cash flow and you use um, leverage to acquire hard assets. Are you an advocate for that? Where do you think leverage does play a role and does it play a role at all? It absolutely does, but only if you're using the magic word which you said, which is cash flow. If you can get into a cash flow uh, positive situation, debt can work for you beautifully. Where I get concerned is when people are going into debt, uh, just for consumption, obviously, take that off the table, that, that we can just ignore that right away. But sometimes people are going into debt in real estate with the idea that they're going in for capital gains. That's a very, very different game. I'm not an advocate of that at this particular point in time. When we look at interest rates, yes, they're really positive in our favor on the banking side, but let's wander to the other side and look at the cap rates. You know, we're looking three, three and a half percent on commercial. Ugh, no, 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 no. Uh, history says that's not a not a great time to get involved. I know some very wealthy real estate investors who are who are personally in the in the prospect of thinning their portfolios down simply because they've been through three cycles. They know what what happens when cap rates get here. But uh, that's sort of in general. More specifically, there are plenty of opportunities out there. Still, I'm a big fan of using debt if and only if you're going to manage it well and you're going to have positive cash flows. Otherwise, uh, debt is something we think people should avoid at this stage, particularly um, high-yielding debt that, that doesn't have a defined cash flow. So even student loans for a liberal arts degree, um, that might fall in there, but certainly you know, uh, car loans, credit cards, stuff like that. Uh, that's, that's something where we know that when financial um, downturns come, whether it's an inflationary um, or a deflation, but we think deflation is coming next, that, you know, debt can be a stone-cold killer. Let me, uh, let me change directions here a little bit. I, as we were preparing for this uh, topic today, I thought a lot about um, you know, doing a SWOT analysis, which is something a lot of business owners will do. And, and one of the parts, a couple pieces to that is analyzing your weaknesses and your threats. And, um, you know, from a, speaking to a business owner and looking at threats and, you know, take just a, you know, it doesn't matter the business that it, that it is, but, um, you know, it could be a restaurant, I could be a dentist, I mean, a real estate investor, whatever it may be. But um, from a, someone, a, a business owner, maybe have employees in that context, um, what threats and things should they be adding to this list? Um, that you, you know, from your expertise that you have, that should change how they operate their business or run their business right now. Well, you know, what I'm, do you think is overlooked necessarily? I guess, or that you know, that may not be in people's equation right now. You know, I, I talk with a lot of business owners, and and I'll tell you that the general vibe out there is is uh, many of them are saying, well, my business is doing okay. Actually, we're doing pretty good right now, but I'm not too confident in the future, and. I, I think that's wise at this point in time because we know that a lot of the of the so-called economic activity we're seeing is because you know central banks have been printing money and tossing it in there. And I, I think we're all pretty clear that if the central banks stopped doing that, um, that uh, you know, things would 
turned south pretty quick in, in our asset market. So, so, the, so the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England and all those people, they've, they've been printing money, propping up asset markets with the idea that as long as they keep those elevated, there'll be the so-called wealth effect. People will feel better. They'll feel more confident. And you know, we'll end up with um, uh, more growth down the line. The growth hasn't really returned in, in a couple of ways. And one of the things that you know, I don't think the business community is fully digested because who can – is this idea that we live in a world where there are now negative interest rates, not just negative real interest rates, meaning the difference between current interest rate minus inflation gets you down into negative territory, but honest to God, negative interest rates on five-year, seven-year German debt, 10-year Swiss debt, things like that. We've never been in this environment before. Nobody knows what's going to happen next around that. So for most business owners, I think uh, it, it would be prudent to understand that uh, something like 2008 could happen again. Use the lessons from 2008 to uh, think about how you would respond if we got into another financial crisis like that. And here's why I think that's a real risk. The central banks have just been piling up um, and creating uh, conditions that are, uh, on, I think could easily lead to extremely high volatility and could, could uh, easily uh, be rather... Mm, well, let's just say there could be a gigantic bust at some point. It's not a guarantee, but you know, as I look at this stuff, you know, I'm a past scientist, so I like I like statistics and things like that. To me, there's like a a a, a small chance of additional upside from here, but a larger chance of some downside. So it's just prudence, it's caution, but understand that we're in an environment where nobody can tell you what's going to happen next because the world has literally never been here before with negative interest rates. Well, if I can. But uh, let me see if I can rephrase that too, and see if you would agree with me, Chris. Is that um, what you just said? Is if the basic okay? So let me just try to summarize this on a, a takeaway, if I could, for the average small business owner that's listening to our show today. If there's any big takeaway, it is what would you have done differently in 2007 if you knew that what was going to happen in 2008. Would you be a little more cautious with your expenses? Would have you had a little more cash reserve? Would have you paid off different debts in advance of that? Would have you taken the risk you thought you should have taken on a piece of real estate hoping it was going to appreciate? If is that a fair statement that we just go back in time and go, what would I if I would have known what was happening going to happen in two thousand eight, what would have I done differently in two thousand seven? And don't forget the past and start doing that now. Absolutely. Well said. It, it comes down to uh, building up some buffers, uh, either you know, stocks of inventory, cash buffers, whatever those things happen to be, and just, and just recalling you know, with good hindsight what you would have done differently, I think, is the right way to think about it, because then I think you can be poised. And if we do get into that situation again, you can react more quickly. Uh, hopefully, you've got additional reserves to lean on. Uh, and, and so I think that many people are already operating this way because, because the confidence isn't really there. And so I do know business owners who are, who are piling cash up and just um, not fully investing in, in a, as they might have done in 2006, say, or in 1998. So it's just understanding that we're pretty long in the tooth. We're about six years into this expansion of, of equity prices and, and all of that. And that's kind of long. So it, it's, again, there's a chance that you know, we could get another downturn. My view is that this next downturn, if it comes, is going to be pretty bad. And that's why the Federal Reserve is fighting it so hard. And, and I hope they win. But let's all, you know, be eyes wide open and understand what will happen if they don't. Well, well, let me just this jump has in been here. Phenomenal, I'm Matt. One little... Yeah, we've I'm got about 90 seconds left, Matt. Okay, I was just going to add, add one little uh, final comment. I think you made a great point back earlier on about um, wealth being transferred. And I think, you know, when there is downturn, wealth doesn't disappear. It does just transfer over. And those assets or whatever it may be just transfers to someone else. And I think a lot of my clients that succeeded through 2008 in real estate were ones that changed their strategies. You know, they might have been buying rentals and letting those appreciate and sell back in 2006. But in 2009, they were buying short sell properties and flipping them. They knew where the market was going and the strategy needed to change. There's still an ability to make money in whatever business they were in, but the strategy changed. Now, this so has been phenomenal, you know, Chris. Sorry, cutting you off here. Yep. 
Hey, well, we'd love to have you back on, Chris. This was phenomenal. Folks, get to peakprosperity.com. And, uh, Chris, thanks for being with us. It's been fantastic. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been my pleasure. <laughs> well, folks, we'll see you next week for another show at two, on Tuesday at 11 a.m. Please join us. Thanks. <laughs>